It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Crossed Up. I know Bob Blankel's usually the one that says that, but Bob's not here today. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, joined by Anthony Sanfilippo Jr., who is uh, filling in. First time we've had him on in a while. Um, not that we haven't wanted to have him on. You know, just you know, he's a busy man. You know, he's busier than busier than his father, which is a crazy thing to say. Um, normally, we have this show out on Monday morning. Uh, or we at least recorded at the crack of dawn. Bob's with his coffee early on Monday morning. Um, we were not able to record uh, earlier this morning. It is now uh, Monday night, late night, uh, following the Phillies' 3-2 loss to the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Bob actually went into the hospital this morning. Turns out he has, and he announced this on Twitter, so I'm not putting out public information about his medical condition, but he has kidney stones, Anthony. Kidney stones for Bob Wankel. Poor guy is going to be suffering for a couple of days, uh, but I anticipate he'll be back here at Crossed Up on Friday. In the meantime, you and I get to talk about what the heck's going on with the Philadelphia baseball team that we had an experience, you know, in person out in Cleveland. We took a road trip out to Cleveland this weekend to watch a couple of those games, and then we come home to see this, uh, a 3-2 loss to Baltimore. With a lot of questions about this game tonight, um, Trey Turner gets a, gets kicked out of the game for arguing uh, balls and strikes. The umpire actually got tossed for throwing his equipment specifically, if you want to get into why he was tossed, but he was arguing uh, balls and strikes at home plate umpire. Um, offense didn't hit again. Um, so a couple of questionable decisions by the manager, which you know were addressed after the game. Um Craig Kimbrell uh, had a second game in a row where he gave up gave up a run um, when he's brought into the game. Last time it was the it was the first blown save that was in Cleveland. Although they did win that game, uh, he takes the loss in this one after giving up the go ahead and run in the top of the ninth. Um, just a couple of couple of boneheaded plays, more a couple of errors, both by Trey Turner. Just Ant, what, what's your take on what, what, you know why the team is just not clicking right now? I mean, it's entirely on the offense, which, I mean, you know, a lot of pieces are not performing to the level they need to be performing. Um, I mean, you can say Trey Turner's name until the cows come home. He's a very big part in why the offense is struggling. Um, Just other, like, minute decision-making things that Thompson's just missing the ball on. Like, I know he has explanations for a lot of these things, and he has thinking in the moment. But I feel like Topper is one of those guys that isn't very good at thinking in advance. And I know he likes to think in advance in terms of who's playing tomorrow and who's who's got the day off and stuff like that. But he doesn't think at bat like batters in advance. And I think the ninth inning tonight was a perfect example of that. And his reasoning after the game was pretty pretty lame um, as to 
his decisions to when to pinch hit, who to pinch hit with, and all that. So, yeah, I mean, let's get into that first because I think the eighth inning is 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 really where things probably are lost for the Phillies. Um, they're down two to one in the eighth. Um, they get a couple guys on base. You have um, uh, Schwarber on second, and um, uh, I'm sorry, Schwarber was on first, and um, Rojas was on second. And um, Edmundo Sosa, who's now in for Trey Turner because Turner got tossed from the game, um, comes up with you know nobody out, and first two pitches can't get a sacrifice bunt down. Um, very simple thing to do, I think, in, in baseball, should be anyway. He can't get it done. So it's two strikes. He's got to be swinging. To his credit, has a pretty good at bat after that. You know, works the count, fouls off a bunch of pitches, whatever, and then hits the ball hard, hits a line drive to third. Rojas was a little bit too far off of the bag at second, um, and he gets doubled off a second, okay? So now immediately, now you have two outs, Schwarber's at first. The next batter is Harper, and Harper gets a base hit. Schwarber stops at second. Now you got Castellanos coming up, and to me, I think this is the first Rob Thompson decision that doesn't quite fly for me. At this point, Schwarber's a tying run with two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning. You need that run to score. You should be pinch running for him there, and he had – Yes, Sosa's already into the game because of Turner being tossed, but you still had three other guys on the bench, and they were all regular starters. You had Marsh, Bohm, and Real Muto. You're obviously not pinch-running Bohm. Uh, Marsh is the guy to go to there. Um, turns out Nick Cascanos gets a hit. Schwarber's able to score, but Harper trying to score behind him. Um, bang, bang, play at the plate, but gets thrown out at home. And, you know, the score is tied. But by not replacing Schwarber in the ninth inning, there's a fly ball to left field. And, you know, Schwarber does everything he possibly can to try and make this catch and doesn't. He dives for it, tips off the edge of his glove. He doesn't get get the ball uh, in the winning run for Baltimore scores. But if you have a more athletic left fielder in that pl- on that play, he doesn't have to dive for that ball. He can just run it down, track it down, and Phillies go into the bottom of the ninth tied at 2-2 instead of down a run, right? I mean, so th- those are the things. Now, I- I'm going to mention what Topper gave as an excuse in a minute, but those are the things, and I'm assuming that's what you're kind of talking about, those are the things that, that drive people crazy and also ultimately end up costing you a game like this, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of them. I actually have a bigger gripe in the ninth because um, they thought it was an uncompetitive decision by Topper. Um, but there is another solution to this that he could have avoided having this issue altogether because the worry was more so, um, well, I mean, it wouldn't avoid, you still would probably pinch run for uh, short with Marsh. But if you have, you know, Jake Cave playing left field, that ball's not, uh, that's all balls also caught. I mean, I know Jake Cave doesn't run like Brandon Marsh, but. If Schwarber was that close to it, and literally anyone else could have gotten that ball. And it's not like Jake Cave wasn't in the lineup tonight. But for whatever unexplained reason, Harper needs days off between playing first base, which no other first baseman in baseball would ever need. Now, I know he's learning a new position. I get that. But I think that mixed in with then the chance to redeem yourself and get a better uh, outfielder out there and just choosing not to again is just negligence. 
more yeah. than anything. And I don't necessarily think that that's that's Thompson making that call, Anthony. Let's be honest. But I mean, this is a this is a uh, pervasive issue in sports in general with how they are uber conservative and ridiculously so when it comes to the health of their players and you know this is why you have you know um you know load management in the nba right you know and 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 this is why you know guys just don't play they need time off they need to rest oh we can't have pitchers pitch more than you know five innings or whatever the case might be oh heaven forbid that they throw more they might get hurt it's 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 a ridiculous notion but nevertheless it's one that exists, um, and I don't know, you know, where where the data is to suggest that this is the case. But Bryce Harper has shown, and, and you know, he had a heck of a first game, first two games, really, playing first base in Cleveland. Did a not really nice job. Didn't show any ill effects, right? I mean, uh, in from either one, actually came out and you know hit the ball well again. I had two hits tonight. Um, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I, I think it's crazy that he that he can't play. And I granted, I understand you don't want to play him immediately every game, right? But this whole one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off, I think is asinine, right? We're talking about first base here. I mean, it's you know, it's not a position that it requires a lot on the body. Okay, it's not like he's a catcher. It's not like he's in the outfield running around. He's playing first base let's let's be honest right so that you're right that doesn't make any sense the argument that that topper made and he did say he thought about it for a second about running for schwarber but doesn't do it and he says here's the argument that he makes he says listen he says we got harrison coming up at some point either in the eighth that later that inning or in the ninth and if they go to a right-handed reliever and you use marsh to run then you don't have then you don't have uh, the left-handed bat to come off the bench to hit against a, a righty in that spot. Fair. But couldn't you argue that JT Romuto would be as good of a base runner at second base and still leaves you with two pinch hitters in the ninth inning, one left-handed, one right-handed, and Bohm and Romuto? Now, granted, it turns out that they brought in CNL Perez, who's lefty, and, you know, you use both right-handers to bat in the ninth inning and Bohm gets a hit and, and Real Muto walks. So when you look at it from that perspective, it actually, you know, w- worked for Tom Thompson in that vein. But the reality is you're not down a run if you burn your pinch runner in the eighth inning for Schwarber. You're just not. So I, I don't know. I'd rather be 2-2 and have to go with a, you know, maybe one less favorable at bat in the ninth than be down 3-2 and be forced to try and score that run. To be fair, um, I don't think that was the the worst decision ever to not pinch run there because if you pinch run there, you're planning on tying the game there and hopefully winning it in the ninth or the tenth, which means Kyle Schwarber would likely come up again. So you're you're hoping that you, Nick Cassianos gets a big enough hit, and he did, and it worked out. So the I don't think it's fair to critique the fact that you didn't pinch run, so now you don't have the defensive substitution. I think that's an unfair critique. Okay. I think it's more of a fair critique to say that you could have made the defensive substitution after you scored the run. 
I know that that means that, well, if you have Schwarber's coming up and you want to win the game, but you also have Rumuto and Bohm that are going to be coming off the bench, and you're hoping that you can win it before you get to the 10th. So if there was a time to make the substitution, I think it was more so in the top of the ninth than it was the bottom of the eighth. Um, at, at the end of the day, I don't think that's the glaring mistake. I think the glaring mistake is in the bottom of the ninth when he still lets Josh Harrison bat. And yeah, you can say righty-lefty all you want. I'm not saying you pinch hit with Josh for Josh Harrison with Brandon Marsh. I'm saying you start the pinch hitters one batter sooner. Yeah, You do that, and you now all of a sudden you have Bowman Real Muto on base with one out rather than two outs. And just now granted the ball that Rojas hit was a tailor-made double play ball. So even if you did did that and got to got to that eighth that eighth spot, I mean you could have then pinched it with Marsh and hopefully he doesn't ground into a double play of second and third or maybe gets a hit or something like that. Take the then I'll tell you another thing, and here's this is where the mentality of swinging for the fences drives me nuts. <clears throat> Why not bat Real Muto first and Bohm second if you're pinch hitting? Because Real Muto is a better base runner, and you need the tying run. And so, if you if you and I agree with you that I would have bat, I would have pinch hit for Harrison. I know it's righty versus lefty, but I would have pinch hit for Harrison there. But I would have gone Real Muto first, and then Bohm second. Because if Real Muto gets on base, yeah, you're, you you don't necessarily think that all right, Bohm's not doesn't Real Muto's a better chance to hit a home run. I get it, but he's also got a better chance of stealing a base than than. Uh, Bohm does. So if he gets on and Bohm works in at bat, now all of a sudden you get Real Muto moving, maybe he steals second, then only you need a single to tie the game. So I, I agree with you. I would have done it. I would have I would have bat, batted for Harrison with Real Muto with one out. And then you have Bohm bat for I guess Cave. Right? Is that who we batted for? Yeah. Bohm yeah. bats for still bat in that same spot, bats for Cave. Okay, but then your issue is now you're left with Stubbs if you get to that point, and Stubbs versus a lefty. It's not really Stubbs versus a lefty, though. You you would go to Marsh in that situation because Romuto's already in the game. You don't need to bat Marsh. Now, I know Marsh versus a lefty, but at that point, you'll have runners on first and second, and you're already threatening as it is, and a lefty out of the stretch is less scary than a lefty from the windup. True. So knock him into the stretch with your right-handed bats, your good right-handed bats, and then give your other lefty hitters a chance, rather than putting the schlub Josh Harrison up for fourth at bat in this game. Or then, well, if you go my way, if you do it my way, then Anthony, what if you think about this? What if you bat um, Real Muto for Harrison, he gets on, then you go to Marsh and save Bohm for two outs? I mean, that's that's another good way to do it. That You right. do it either. I mean, because, I mean, you would go to Marsh in a situation where – even if he hits a ground ball, he's fast enough to beat it out to not end the game. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the thing you're hoping for there, and then you get to, but then you still end up at Rojas at the end. So my my it, thought it, is, my thought is, you want to get somebody into scoring position for Bohm, who's the best hitter on your team with runners in scoring position. Agreed. I rather agree. Rather than have him come out, rather than have him come up with the bases empty and two outs. Yeah, I, I agree that Romuto should have went first and then Bohm, and they should have moved a batter sooner because what. It's more threat. I know with the two out rally kind of thing, but it's so much more threatening to have guys on the base paths less than two outs. Correct. Because then the pitcher really is trying to pitch to a double play. So you're yeah. going to get a pitch to hit that. You're going to get a chance to do something. 
Meanwhile, you're trying to you're nibble. He's nibbling the corners when there's no one on. Or if, if there's two outs, he just needs a strikeout. He's just pitching for a strikeout. He knows if he strikes someone out, the game's over. Yeah. So I just think that the, there was not enough foresight there. And I, I, the righty lefty thing is, I, I think a moot point because you could have just batted with a better righty from the start. I yeah. mean, it already it already sucks that Stock couldn't get the hit, but like have a competitive batter there rather than forcing yourself into a two-out situation with nobody on. And you got a little bit of a rally. So it's it's just like give yourself more of a chance. They need to be put in a better position. I agree. I think that I think that the Phillies mismanaged the end of the game with the lineup. I think that the lineup coming in was awful. It was just awful. I understand you want to get give guys days off, right? And get got it's more so not necessarily getting guys days off, more so getting the bench players playing time. But do you really need to get the bench all the entire bench playing time in the same game? Like I, I looked at that lineup at the beginning and I said you've got two guys in this lineup who've been hitting and seven guys who've not. And I don't know how you think that's going to be a successful offensive lineup for the night. Now, to be fair. Castellanos had a very had a good night. He had one hit, it was a big hit, but he also had a walk where he laid off of pitches that he had been swinging at. So like, okay, there's positive there, right? And you know, Harper still being Harper and that's fine. Stott didn't have the game that he has been having. He was 0 for 4 tonight. But you're like who else beyond that were you looking at going, "Oh yeah, these guys are going to be I mean, Schwarber walks twice, hits a sack fly. Okay, fine. You know, he does his thing. He didn't get a hit, but you know, he got a run in and, and you know, worked, worked the count. That's fine. That's good. But who else really did anything? I mean, Rojas, I guess, batting nine had two singles, two of the seven hits. They they had, they what, they had 11 base runners and scored two runs. Again, can't keep happen, having this happen. They have to figure out ways to, to really start to generate offense and create offense. And, and it has to start with the big with the big name players. There's no doubt about it. Those top five guys in your lineup have to produce. Harper's getting on base. He's getting singles, but he's not driving in runs. Schwarber has hit the home runs, and he you know has these little streaks, but he's still batting 180. Turner has been he's his numbers this year are on par with freaking Freddie Galvis. Right. I mean, that's where he's at. And and we didn't even talk about the two errors he had in the game. I mean, defensively, he's been a, been a mess at shortstop for this season. Um, Castellanos had been struggling mightily since uh, since the 4th of July, although, like I said, had a better game today. And Real Muto wasn't in the lineup tonight, but he has been struggling. So, like, those are the, their top five guys. If they're not getting on base it doesn't matter i don't think i mean they they just have to play right i mean they just have to be able to live up to their name and their reputation and their their back of their baseball cards otherwise i might as well just pack it in if they're going to keep playing like hitting like this well if you are going to bench three of your regular starters uh you're you're have a less hit chance on this now because now you have only four guys that can do it or are yeah. expected to do it and like you really need them to hit then and the even if three of them hit it just still doesn't work so the fact that the, the, the mistake i think this is a mistake he made in cleveland they had a day game on sunday why does real muto catch that game and not Stubbs when you know coming into monday that you're going to give bohm a day off you have to pick and choose your spots here a lot better Give Romuto the day off in Cleveland. I know he's not hitting, 
but at least it gives you one more of those guys, and you don't have to bat Josh Harrison six in the lineup. Like that's embarrassing. Yeah. Like I would rather bat a second lefty and have the the left right afterwards than have Josh Harrison come up to the plate four times in a game before the last out. Like that's just that's why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, I, and I I agree with you there, Anthony. Too like I, I just don't under I just don't understand. The, the the setup here, I just it just doesn't make any sense. Look, I get uh, Kramer's not really he's not a power pitcher, right? Um, so you're not so you're thinking to yourself, okay, here's a guy that's not going to blow away our bench players. So maybe they have a chance of getting on base and getting you know getting a couple hits and helping the lineup out against a pitcher like this, um, as opposed to the Cleveland pitchers who all throw what ninety seven, ninety eight, like nonstop. They don't have a they don't have a a guy that doesn't throw hard. Um, but at the same time, like what did they, what did they really, what did they, let's be, I mean, I'm going to be Frank. What did they really think that this lineup was going to do offensively? I mean, is there anything you look at and sit there and say, Oh yeah, well I could, I could see a big rally coming from this lineup today. No, that you knew they were going to have to scratch and claw for runs, which they did. The two runs they had were scratch and claw runs, right? Like, other than that, I mean, I don't know. I, I just look at it and say, man, it's almost like they punted this game to Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think that there needs to be more foresight. You need to know you're com- And here's the thing. Like, you're, I understand the idea of playing to the pitcher, like knowing your matchup, but this is the Orioles. They're the best team in the American League with the Rangers kind of in tandem, they score runs. So even if you're facing a bad pitcher, you need to keep up with them. Now, granted, Christopher Sanchez pitched a great game, and um, the the bullpen, I think, did well. I mean, Hoffman did well. I mean, I know Krimble gave up that double down the line, but that was it was more so a lucky hit than it was a, a great hit. I mean, the guy got a good piece of it, but, like, it landed in effectively no man's land. But, um, but like, the pitching was fine. And because you decided to punt on your lineup, that your pitching came through, but since you gave up on your lineup, that didn't come through. So you 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 screwed yourself. You screwed yourself because you thought you were outthinking the situation, when really it, it got you because it, it, you're only making that pitcher better by putting all of your bench guys against him. I don't understand the mindset of giving an entire group of people a day off. It should it should rotate. Every once in a while, one person gets a day off, not three. That just doesn't make any sense. It's like in fantasy football. Like I know, I know this is a uh, more modern strategy of drafting players with the same bye week, and like just be like, ah, I'll just lose that week, and like, but that'll have my full lineup every other week. Well, that's ridiculous because you're just guaranteeing yourself a loss when you don't guarantee wins every other week. It's the same thing with this. You're almost. I mean, it's not a guaranteed loss, but you're giving yourself a much more difficult time. For no reason. You just decided, eh, it's not a great pitcher. Let's just send it in. Like, where are these decisions being made? Because I know the team's not performing offensively, but there's needs to, like, they need to stop losing the game off the field. Because I know they make boneheaded plays on the field sometimes, and I know they're not performing to their level, but they're so good, they're still 53 and 47. There's that much talent that they're still able to win games and stay in a playoff race. If you lose games off the field, you're going to find yourself on the fringe of the playoff race all of a sudden, even while your players aren't performing. They could be in such better shape if they just thought 
and tried to like win more games, honestly, off the field. I think that's yeah. where the problem was. Yeah, I think that they I think that yeah, it's something that you're onto here, Anthony, is I think that they occasionally feel like they are outsmarting everyone when in reality I think that they make things more difficult for themselves. You know, they they, they are managing health and they're doing it with a you know with real, real caution with everybody this year. Like, you know, bullpen guys, they're really not letting them go three and four. I mean, they've, they've had a few, right? But for the most part, it's one thing to not pitch more than three, you know, more than two days in a row. But now they're not even pitching three and four. They're giving them multiple days off. You know, the, you know, the health matters more. Okay, fine. It's, we're playing for the long haul. Okay, fine. But in the process of sitting there saying, okay, well, we're playing the long game. We're looking at we, we want to be at our peak condition in September and October when we can go out and win this thing, you're going to lose games along the way. And you're will- it's almost like they're willingly saying, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take the L there. We'll wear that L. It's okay because we'll be better off down the road. And I think that this was one of those games where they are taking the L because they're thinking about where they want to, where they're going to be in October, but you got to get to October. And I, you know, I still believe they're going to get there because I think the national league, the teams that they're competing with are not all that great, and the Phillies are significantly more talented. But it shouldn't be difficult. You shouldn't be putting yourself in a situation where you have to win games and at the end of September just to get in. You should be in and feel comfortable and get everything set and ready and rolling into October the way you want it and not just, oh, my God, we got to go beat the Mets three out of four in that last series of the season just to just to make the playoffs. Like. I think they outthink themselves sometimes, and and I think that that's trying kind of what you're trying to say. Well, I I think it makes sense from the pitching standpoint, and I think they've been successful with that. Like, I know that the bullpens had its bumps, and even the, the starters had their bumps as well. But I think all in all, this pitching staff has done a great job this year, and I don't think many people would argue really. I mean, I know that it's not been perfect, it's not been what we wanted, but what's the issue with the team? It's not the pitching; it's the offense. Now, on offense, you don't need that those days off like pitchers do. You do need days off. I'm not saying you don't. It's just why is it not more carefully planned out? I just feel like it was just like, eh, they're kind of running ragged. Let's give them all a day off. Like, did Christopher Sanchez take a day off today? No. Did Jeff Hoffman take a day off today? No, he, he, and he's been pitching. Like, he pitched bad his last time, and they sent him out there, and he had to go do his job, and he did. But the hitters, why are they getting – extra days off or why are they getting days off in bulk in mass that that is just it, it is a non-competitive move before the first pitch is even thrown and that's extremely infuriating you are putting yourself in bad position before you even step on the field and and all honesty and and, and this is not meant to be a knock on on harrison or 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 Stubbs or uh even jake cave at this point or or rojas or whoever you're putting in the lineup um, it's not a knock on those guys individually, but if you're the rest of the lineup, rest of the team, what do you think? What do you think the mentality is when you see that lineup? Like, you you know, they're all going to say the right thing. Oh, we believe in our guys. We're we're going to go. They're going to go out and get the job done. We we believe in each other. Yeah, that's great. It's good to have that. It's good morale. But if in reality, when you look at that lineup and you sit there and go, yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I'll tell I you. Just, the, go ahead. I'll tell you what the correct response isn't. 
is to make two errors and get so frustrated with yourself, you get yourself ejected from a game where you already have a short bench. Well, yeah, and so that's the thing. And and I Trey Turner getting ejected from the game actually impacts the eighth and ninth inning. Oh, yeah. Because, because Sosa now has to come up and get the runners over and doesn't get the job done. Actually lines into a double play, although that wasn't really his fault. But it was his fault that he didn't get the bunt down. Um, Rojas gets doubled off. But then also come the ninth, you know, you can't pinch run for Schwarber. You can't defensively sub for Schwarber because you burned a guy early because Turner got himself tossed. And you could have had Sosa as another pinch hit. You do you think if Sosa was available, he'd pinch hit Sosa for Harrison? Heartbeat. Heartbeat he would do well, it. Well, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, he That's would. That's what he would do. He absolutely would have done that. Yeah, but he didn't. Probably. probably. You're probably right. And so, so, yeah. So, I think, you know, Turner makes the two errors – and his defense hasn't been very good. His offense has been a little bit better in the last three weeks, but for the most part, overall, it's still his numbers are still comparative to Freddie Galvis. It's just, it's just ridiculous. That's what you know, Corey Seidman first put that out, and, and he's spot on with it. Um, Turner after the game, I will say this. I'll give him this. For the first time, Anthony, he was he was you know he was he was taking accountability but he was up but he was upbeat for the first time and I, it's hard to it's weird to say that right why are you upbeat after you just went 0 for 3 and made two errors and got thrown out of a game and your team lost and you were you know responsible partly responsible for that um but the fact of the matter is is that every other time that Trey Turner has had a bad game and we've had to go talk to him about it he was always kind of had this – he was kind of down and he was kind of quiet and didn't really have a lot of, you know, personality and just gave you, like, the, the pat answers. But today, he like, you know, he was joking with his teammates as he was walking over to the media. Like, he was like, I'll say whatever you guys want me to say. And, um, you know, he was just having – he was having fun with, you know, with the guys in the, in the clubhouse. He gave good answers. He said he feels good. He feels like he's in the right spot mentally. And, and he was saying, saying things that you're – wouldn't normally hear Trey Turner say. And so part of you wants to go, maybe this is what he needed. Maybe he needed to get thrown out of a game to kind of like pull him out of the fog. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. But it, if not, if he comes back out tomorrow and is doing the same stuff again, then I, I don't I don't know where you go. I mean, other with with this because he has to play. It's a three hundred million dollar player. You're not going to bench him for five days, right? That's not going to happen. You can sit him a game. You can move him down in the lineup, but at the same point, at the same time, he's still not helping the team win. So hopefully, this is what kind of kickstart him. And I'm only going off of one interview for like six minutes after the game was over. But boy, oh boy, Trey Turner is is becoming a, a a, a real pariah right now for the lineup, not as a person, but for the lineup. Um, and, and I think, and defensively as well. And I think it's, it's killing the Phillies in, in a lot of ways. Like you said, they would be a lot better off. Trey Turner was even 80% of his normal self. The Phillies would have three more wins right now and be a much better spot. But the fact of the matter is, is that he is so far away from his norm in everything, in every aspect of his game, 
that the Phillies are a game out of a wild card spot now. And, 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 and you can sit there and find other reasons, and there's other players to blame too, point some fingers at those guys. They deserve it as well. But he was brought in to be a difference maker and has not been. Yeah, I mean, I brought up the stat uh, recently. I know it's a little bit of cherry picking. Um, and on one side, very small sample size. But in terms of war which is good and bad for a lot of reasons. Christian Pache has the same war as Trey Turner in a tenth of the time, which is just unacceptable. And I know Pache was hot, so that's why his war is high for a short period of time. But like to think of the fact that over the course of 100 games, Christian Pache has brought you just as much while being hurt for effectively 90 of them as Trey Turner has been for being here for all 100 let you know that this is a consistent problem and consistent problems don't just have wowza solutions that happen overnight. Nick Castellanos didn't figure it out overnight. We talk about, like, that's the best comparison we have here in Philly is what Nick did last year compared to what he's doing this year. And I don't think that this means Trey's, like, screwed for the rest of his career. But I don't think there's some magic potion that's going to fix him this year. And I think you need to act accordingly. And that doesn't mean bench him. That doesn't mean... uh, like move move him to like into an uncomfortable spot in the lineup. It just means move him out of the two hole. Get him away from Bryce Harper. Get him away from Nick Castellanos. Get him away from the guys that are getting the jobs done because it makes their job so much harder when he's in the way. And I guess getting thrown out can be a, a, a boon. This is not the time or place. You can get thrown out any game. The dumb suck. You can you can pick you can pick any any bad call and get thrown out for it this is a very specific scenario where you can't get thrown out of the game and because you're in your own head because you booted two balls and the second one was very embarrassing in my opinion because he didn't even really have effort to go after it after he made the error which tells you where he's at mentally which is why he came into that at bat very fidgety he was moving his bat around a lot he was it was you're sitting there like he's gonna swing over everything just you can just tell because he's normally just sitting there like laid back not doing anything, and then all of a sudden his attitude changed. So I don't think a positive mindset is going to stop you from slumping that much. I really don't believe that. Yeah, not, after, not after 100 games. If it's a shorter slump, sure. After 100 games, something drastic needs to change at 30 yeah, I, years old. And I, and I don't understand why you, you go – it's not like you're going to you're, – you know, you're supporting a guy – in a spot in the lineup that has proven on your team that he can do that he can be successful there. I don't that I don't get. You know, like you know, I you know, the whole Schwarber leading off thing, you know, we've had this discussion. You don't get it. I don't get it. But for some reason it works for the Phillies. <laughs> I still don't I still think they would they would put themselves in a much better position in, in changing the lineup around. But they're they're winning on talent, not necessarily on this creative idea that this is how the lineup should be structured. Um, so, but I don't understand why it would be a bad thing to put guys who are struggling down in the lineup where they'll get, you know, one fewer bat per game, possibly, until they start hitting again, and then you can put them back. Like, there's nothing that's saying, okay, you move a guy down and then he figures it out, and you can't. Oh well, you got to leave him there. It's where he's hitting. Don't change it. No, then you can put him back where he was, where you expect him to be. 
but let them go into situation into spots in the lineup that are you know lower pressure situations on the re- on the regular and maybe you'll you'll get out of that out of that slump i i don't understand why managers are averse averse to doing this it's just it's just it just bothers me anthony it really does it bo- and it's not again it's not just the phillies but they bother it bothers me there more because we watch every game right so you're seeing everything happening on how it's unfolding i i don't know i just don't understand why they have to they have to lean into this guy likes batting here and this is where we want him to bat and we're going to leave him there no matter how poor he's playing yeah it's i would rather honestly and obviously this is going to happen i'd rather him lead off because that way he's not in between big hitters. Because that's the thing. That's the problem. I know Schwarber's Schwarber and going to do Schwarber things. But the fact that you have Schwarber, Turner, and then Castellanos or Harper, depending on the day, like it sucks that it feels like you have a shot with the first guy, the next guy's going to get out, and then you hope that the, the third guy comes through. You need to set, You need to segregate. You need to keep him. It, it doesn't really matter what number in the lineup he's batting. He just can't be in between the bats that can stay hot and get hits, 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 hits right in a row. Because when you separate them out, that's when you strand runners. It's all about chaining together big big innings and hit after hit after hit. And if you have people in between them, it's going to make that more difficult. Like you can always, yeah, the idea of like spreading the batters out so that you have a better chance every inning of it. Sure, but you keep getting, this is this is obviously the issue. They leave runners on base like it's nobody's business. They are always getting out with two outs and runner in scoring position. It seems like it happens three times a game every game because every now and then Trey Turner comes up. Every now and then Josh Harrison comes up. Like, bundle those guys together. Wherever they're at, it doesn't. It truly doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously, you'd prefer them at the bottom, but, like, put Turner at the top, move him up one spot. You think Trey Turner's going to be upset about leading off? I don't think that'll hurt his ego. I don't think he's going to get upset about that. I know that you have this whole Schwarber thing. Just bet Schwarber too. It's the same thing. It's the same thing, but then you get to go Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, bang, 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 and like, and then stop. And like, like that's more. That strikes more fear. That every time you get a, a an opposing team that wants to throw a, a bullpen arm at you, they're gonna try to. The first time they see that after their starter comes out, they're gonna throw their best arm at you. So by the time they come to the ninth, you'll have an easier arm to hit. But because Turner's in there, they know they can get away. They're gonna get a freer out. Than they normally would. It just doesn't make any logical sense at all. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wonder how much longer they'd go with this, Anthony. I, something tells me that this lineup is going to get a, a, a little bit of a makeover next week at the deadline. I don't know how. I don't know what. Um, I just get that sense that they know that they can't let this go on any longer. They've got to fix it. Um because they have the pitching. They have the pitching to win. And that's what's, you know, when you look around baseball and you look at teams, every team that's a contender right now says we need pitching. Every team, except the Phillies. It's it's wild. It's like they're the only team that doesn't really need pitching. And I want to ask you about Christopher Sanchez. I mean, you mentioned he pitched a great game, and we brought his name up a couple times, but really didn't look at look at it, look at what he did tonight, and then look at the game uh, at his uh, look at his starts in general. 
he went seven innings tonight. It's career high. He had eight strikeouts tonight. Career high. He didn't walk anybody. He only gave up five hits. Yes, two of them were solo home runs. Okay. You know, obviously you don't want to give up home runs, but if you're going to give up a home run, at least it's a solo homer. He, since he came back into the uh, rotation as, as the number five starter, he's got a 2.61 ERA and a 0.89 whip. Is Christopher Sanchez like, is this for real? Like, can not to say that he's going to be this good all the time, but is he a guy you look at and go, yeah, he's part of our rotation. We don't we don't need to f- fix that. I look at him and I go. Zach Eflin. I'm like, that's what he is. That's what he's – I mean, I know he's perform- his numbers are through the roof right now, but he's going to be at the level that Zach Eflin was at. That's that's what he looks like. That's what he feels like. And come playoffs, he's going to be one of those – maybe he starts a game four of a seven-game series or comes out of the pen. Like, that's, that's kind of what he's going to be. He's not going to be like the Ranger Swiss Army knife, but he's going to be like the Zach Eflin long relief guy, starter in, a, in, the, in the middle of a series – kind of guy in the playoffs and why would you ever want another pitcher when you have a guy doing that in your fifth spot why sure you can have an injury sure uh in that case you know figure it out use use you have guys that can go long have a bullpen game until you're back to healthy again but like that's not (laughs) pitching is not your issue and christopher sanchez is not an issue it's a plus so use it as a plus and don't Punt away his game, like. No, I I agree with you. You know, I guess the only thing, and Dombrowski was saying this in um, in an interview that he did um, with the New York Post, where he said that you know it's just a matter of wanting to make sure that we have the right depth. And, you know, he says, oh, we got guys down there. You know, he mentions Nick Nelson. He mentioned Bailey Falter, who's been pitching a little bit better. I still don't think he's coming back, but whatever. Um, And he mentions Abel and McGarry, but I don't think either of those guys are guys that are ready for major league action, at least not on a team that's contending, right? Um, So he says, you know, it'd be nice to have just another guy. And and, and I I can get that. I can kind of, I could see that. But it shouldn't be a guy that you're going to rely on to be in your rotation. It it could be a guy who you throw into the, you know, as your long man in the bullpen replacing Dylan Covey. And, oh, if you need him to start, he can come in and start and fill in. Okay, fine. Because ultimately your number five starter is not, not starting in the playoffs unless there's an injury, right? Your number five starter is not going to start in the playoffs. So they're going to either be not in, not on your roster or – they're going to be, you know, added to your bullpen as a long guy. So why go out and get anything more than, you know, than just a just a depth piece at this point? It doesn't make any sense to me. I think it's more so that means that he's going to trade those starters in the minors. That's what that means because he knows he's not going to be able to call them up. So whatever is being worked on, and we don't know, uh, and it might not even fall through. It might not even go. It might fall through. It might not even happen whatever big deal he's working on. Because, like, Nick Nelson's been pitching really well and pitched on this team last year. Like, I don't know why he's not that specific player. Like, he sounds like the guy you're describing, but he's just not it. No, I think that means he's getting traded. Like, that's that's GM speak. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Like, actually, so, I, had some, I actually had somebody say to me today um, down at the ballpark, we actually have more in the minors than people think we do for the trade deadline. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, probably right. I mean, there's guys down there that, that could be intriguing. I mean, I'll tell you, like, I I think Scott Kingery can be intriguing to another team with, with the season that he's having. I mean, seriously, I, I do. I mean, if you're not going to put him on your 40-man roster, right, and he's played as well as he's played down there, I, I think there somebody else might look at that and go, ah, we'll take a chance on that. See how he plays out for a month and a half for us, and maybe we sign him after that. If not, eh, we let him go. No skin. Right. Some I mean, of the misfit toys. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Send them, send them out to the top. But no, but somebody said that. They said they have more than people think uh, as far as what's, what other teams might be interested in. So, um, so yeah, the Phillies are, are definitely going to look. They had to add to the lineup and to the bench, right? I, I think, and not just one player. I think you're going to need more than one. I mean, you might maybe, maybe you add one guy that you look at and say, pretty, here's a regular starter. And then you say we need to add another guy to go to the bench. I think that's what they need more than anything else. They need an off-season like acquisition in the lineup. They don't yeah. need a trade deadline acquisition. They need someone like a Jason Worth, someone who came in and changed the, the dynamics of a lineup. That's the kind of player you're looking for. You're not looking for. I mean, yes, you want to add a bench bat too, but like just adding a bench bat is not going to work. It just isn't. There's something fundamentally wrong with this offense. And the best way to do that is to put a different piece in that makes it all fit together in a different way. I just want to talk real quick about the one name that's kind of been bounced around already. Um, a lot of people, a lot of smoke, and I guess it's because um, Bob Nightingale from USA Today put it out there that said the Phillies are really interested in Tommy Pham, um, Mets left fielder. Actually having an okay year. I think he's hitting, what, 271, I think 355 on base. I don't know. What's he got? 12 home runs. Something that that ilk, of that ilk. Um, you know, he's certainly a better defensive outfielder than Kyle Schwarber, but so am I. I wouldn't give up very much for Tommy Pham. I mean, Tommy Pham, I, he's a veteran. He brings a veteran presence. But I don't know if that's exactly what they need in this lineup. Uh, there's enough veterans in this lineup. They need a it, that's not, not to say that they need uh, a child, a, a a rookie or someone like that coming in to bring youthful exuberance. But they do need someone of a younger quality and bringing a different energy to that team because bringing in another veteran isn't going to change the the center center of all this. They need someone who's either uh, someone who's not quite a veteran who's like three four years in. Um, or someone who's younger that need, that that might be someone you can keep for a couple of years, but I don't. I think that's less likely. I think you're looking at a three to four year player. Well, we'll see what the Phillies do here at the deadline, Anthony. I mean, they got six games between now and then. Um, it's going to be interesting. Interesting to see how much changes over the course of the next six days. Um, but uh, you know, look, the Orioles are, are are a good team, and it was a tough game tonight. Philly still should have won that game. Um, Sanchez pitched great, and the, the, the lineup didn't hit. They now got to go out there, and they got to win. The, they got to win this series before they head out to Pittsburgh, and uh, they're going to be they're going to be leaning on. You don't have either Wheeler or Nola throwing against Baltimore, so um, you know they're going to have to rely on Walker and and uh, Suarez to get it done. Um, 
what I wanted to real quick before we uh, wrap up for the for the for the day and and you know wait till Friday to come back on for the next episode. We were out in Cleveland for the weekend, and I don't we don't need to rehash the games, but uh, you know they lost two out of three, um, and we were there Friday night and Saturday. But I just wanted to bring up just for fun, like first of all, your impressions of Progressive Field. And then secondly, to talk about a little bit about the uh, the uh, amalgam of promotions that they jammed into one day, and then to talk about uh, a couple of the uh, uh, foodstuffs that uh, that took that we took part you know took it took part in while we were there. So first of all, overall impressions, Progressive Field. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool park um, in terms of like baseball, like actually on the field. It's I, I'd say one of the top ten. In terms of baseball fields, like cool dimensions, uh, it's like interesting ways that balls are going to hit off the wall or get into the gaps. I think it's cool in that sense. The park itself is pretty cool. It's got a huge scoreboard. It's pretty good position. It should be facing a little bit more towards the city, but you know that's besides besides the point. Uh, the problems in the ballpark exist not on the field. They exist in the very cramped concourse where we can fit probably about five of me and two of you across. Um, and there are no cup holders in the upper sections, which is mind-blowing that there's not a cup holder. So you have to hold the drink between your legs or on, on the ground. And when it's already cramped on a sellout, it, it's, that's not enjoyable because you're always like worrying about spilling and everything. So, you know, quality of life improvements are needed there, I think. I don't. I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk top 10 ballpark but it, it, i could i could see the argument of it sneaking in there so i did like the field pretty much yeah and we were talking with our friend uh, andy roth who um runs the sports talk station out in cleveland and he was saying that they you know, they're in the process of beginning some renovations uh to the field it is you know 30 years old now um and so they're talking about making some like major changes um, like even tearing down part of the stadium and, and redoing it. Um, so you might see the next time you go to Cleveland might have a, a completely different experience. I will tell you the one thing that bothered me, and I mentioned this to you um, in the Saturday game when we were sitting in the in the lower level, um, down the first base pad, just beyond the first base uh, area, first down the right field line. The seats where we were sitting were not angled toward the pitcher's mound or toward home plate they were angled toward left center field and so the entire game we were kind of turned to watch <laughs> the pitcher pitch the ball and the batter hit the ball right I mean so it was kind of like that was just an odd thing to me and I, I know that stadiums that were built in that era were already the ones that were changing the the approach to how the sight lines were going to be, and I was just flabbergasted that that's how it was that we couldn't we didn't have good sight lines. A um, couple other cool things I think that the Indian oh, Indians Guardians do a nice job of recognizing the Indians' history. They're they're like whatever you want to call it, monument park or Hall of Fame section. It's pretty extensive. Like they had a lot there with the history of the team and the history of the game. We spent a lot of time Friday night 
just you know walking through all that um and just kind of checking out like all the old players they have like their 100th anniversary team um that they have down there um they have uh uh, a, a tribute to Sock Alexis, who the team was originally named after. They have the 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 really cool thing that they found was the um, Ray Chapman uh, plaque that was in the old stadium that was that disappeared for like twenty some years and uh, twenty five years I think it was, and then somebody found it and then they brought it back and now they put it in the stadium. So I think they did a really really nice job with that aspect of it as well. The only other negative stadium experience wise, there's no out of town scoreboard. Friday night, I didn't see them put up a score once, other than I think they just did like a little, like, here's what's going on in like three other games. Saturday, they at least flashed it up on the secondary scoreboard. Left field wall. Like, yeah, the left field wall a couple times. But it, there was nowhere that it was permanently up or constantly up for you to check. I can't believe that that's another thing. So those were my those were my negatives. But here's the one thing I gotta we gotta bring up here at the end, man. Friday night we show up. Now sold out because it's fireworks night. Okay, but also on fireworks night, two dollar Miller Lite cans. From the time you open the door till the start of the national anthem. That's an hour and a half, right? We learned to learn to find out that they do this every game, not just, not just for this one promotional night, right? Okay, so this is an every game thing. But not only that, it's dollar dog night. So they combined two dollars two dollar beers with dollar dog night and fireworks all on the same night, and it was calm experience nobody got out of hand nobody got rowdy and i was just sitting there thinking to myself could you imagine something like that in philadelphia it would it would be a nightmare it would be a disaster it would be the most memorable fan story of all time if they, if they did something like that in philadelphia right i mean it was crazy you we were all surprised even you as you were standing in line to buy the beers I just know that I'm taking more trips to Cleveland now. Like that's, I hope they play there every year. That's fantastic. I'm taking my friends. I just don't under, really. The question is why? Because they can't possibly like trip off on promotions all the time like this. But why against the National League champions of a city that travels well? Like it just doesn't make sense to triple up against this team. Like you play the Royals a lot. Maybe use it on them. Like, save your bullets here. I just, this is not a very smart business strategy, I don't think. Yeah, I, I was floored. Um, now, you didn't have this, but Saturday, your brother and I got the slider dog. Slider dog is a hot dog covered in mac and cheese, bacon, and Fruit Loops. You thought it was an abomination. It, it you? is. Yeah. 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 Um, this from the guy who ate seven dollar dogs before the end of the first inning. Correct? Correct. I think you ate seven. I think you, you started just before first pitch and you had seven done by the time the Guardians came up the bat in the bottom of the first. 
Uh, it was a couple batters into the Guardians, but yeah, effectively. Okay. All right. All right. There you go. Fair enough. But but you you would do that, but you have you wouldn't touch the no slider dog. Why? That's it's obscene. <laughs> the best way to describe it. Like here's the thing. Like if you have good food from your local region, that's different for like ballpark food. Good. Make that. Do that. Like make something that is like a Cleveland thing. Don't just throw something wacky together just to say it's wacky and it's the Cleveland thing. Because that's just embarrassing, in my opinion. Like represent your culture, not make something goofy. Like you can make something goofy and like have it like be a one-time kind of thing, but it can't be like a consistent thing unless that's a part of your culture, which it isn't. It's not like you can go on the streets of Cleveland and put Fruit Loops on a hot dog and not look that like you're crazy. Um, so they do have a location. The place is called happy dog. They do have a location and they do weird combinations on hot. Dogs yes, they do. From what we found out, what we learned. Right. But like, that's like, that's not like a thing. It's one restaurant. Like, it's not like, yes. Oh, I'm from Cleveland. I eat fruit loops on my hot dogs and I put wacky stuff together. That's not a thing. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, your brother loved it. I, it was better than I thought it was going to be, but I wouldn't get it again. So that was my that was my review. Like, oh, well, it wasn't awful, but it, I don't know. I wouldn't buy Would it. Would the again. quality of hot dog affect that if the dog if the dog itself was better? Because the dogs were not that great. No, they were not that good. They were not that good. So maybe, maybe that would be a difference. Um, here was one, Anthony. Mm-hmm. What? So it's Cleveland, okay? You talk about you mentioned civic pride. Why do they have this big Ohio thing that they do? <laughs> well, <laughs> they're chanting. Uh, they're spelling Ohio like there's another team in the state. <laughs> there's there's another team that plays baseball in the state. So it's not like it's just Cleveland, you know, in, in the state of Ohio. They do this, and it was to a different song each night. But they had a uh, they song. had a thing. Was it the same song? I thought it was a different song. They spell song. out Ohio. Y- yes, but yeah, they and, and they would just do. They would go O H I O, and then the, the whole crowd is singing. It's like the eighth inning, and they're doing the you know they're doing the YMCA hand signals, spelling out O H I O. Look, it's very college footballish. Yeah. It's very Ohio State, <laughs> right to me. But this isn't Columbus. Like this isn't a college crowd. I, I don't understand why you're you're sitting there repping the state but not repping the city i mean that's that's true of any college (laughs) i'm not a big uh proponent of uh rooting for colleges that are nearby uh we are pretty uh we we know a lot of penn state people here and uh even if they never went to penn state they have this un ridiculous affection for it's the same thing with notre dame notre dame is the same way yeah. You just have people that are like, oh, go Notre Dame. I'm like, have you ever been there? No. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a stupid college thing, and Ohio is effectively like a big suburb, so they all feel like they have to have that. And th- th- what other colleges in Ohio that anyone cares about? Uh, not like the other Miami. like Xavier. It's a good basketball school. Yeah, but that's not going to do What draws 100,000 people? 
University of Cincinnati, I guess that's a that's a pretty big one. Yeah. They got good football too. Not really. And Cincinnati's more of a Kentucky area, anyways. It is. It's right it's on the not, board. Right. It's not right. near like and I think Cincinnati, I don't think Ohio. Even though it's in Ohio. It's like yeah. it's unique. Like it Cleveland, is. Columbus, Akron, they're all the same. All of them. <laughs> and they do they do a similar to Milwaukee. They have a a weird hot dog race. It's really weird. <laughs> they have a weird hot dog race where they have the ketchup dog that is like the bad guy. Like he's always like he's like always cheating. Yeah. Right? And and he thinks he's gonna win. And then every time Slider, the the mascot, figures out a way to stop him. Right? So the first night they had <laughs> they had slider like raking grass in the outfield but turns out the big pile of grass that he was raking was actually a a saboteur ninja (laughs) that was in camouflage that tackled the ketchup dog right then the the the, what was the oh the second day they had the ohio state buckeye mascot there to trip him up they actually pulled a rope out in front of him and like tripped him and he went, actually went flying that was actually that one was actually pretty funny and then on sunday they had like it was slider's birthday and like they had the mascots from like all these other teams including the fanatic and they all tackled you know the the ketchup dog so like that that's the shtick for ketchup but then the other shtick is you have the regular hot dog and then you have the onion dog right oh, mustard onion oh mustard that's right it's mustard dog and onion dog and onion dog is uh is i believe uh, is female identifying um, and carries carries a purse and beats up mustard dog with the purse the entire time they're running and invariably onion dog wins like I, I I don't know what the comedy of this is but it's just like it's just weird it's not like the the bratwurst and the and the pol- Italian sausage or whatever all running around and it's also not like the presidents where there's always some kind of shenanigans it's the same outcome every time I have nothing to say to that <laughs> we sat there like it's like we were kind of like stunned at what was going on it was just weird the, the midwest is a weird place man it's it's a different world out there. The things that they get entertained by out there. It's just not the same. I mean, it'd be cool if they had something that related to Cleveland, but they chose hot dogs. And like I thought the first night it was because it was dollar dog night. I foolish I was <laughs> that the dogs are always out. Uh. Oh, anyway, so that was uh, the progressive field. It was a good trip. We had fun. Um, uh, So there was just some quirky, quirky things out there that we got to experience while we were out there. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys got a kick out of them as much as as we did while we were there. But uh, I think that's it. And I think it's going to wrap it for us here. We've been uh, just over an hour. It's usually what we kind of we like to cut it off here. We don't want to go too long. Um, So I'm going to just wrap it up here. Thank you for filling in for 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 Bob, uh, who's got to pass those kidney stones this week. Poor guy, feel bad for him, but I think everything will be uh, 
will be good by the weekend. I think he'll be back with us for Friday's uh, episode. I'm sure he'll be in, in rare form. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. Um, the show is at Up Phillies. I'm at Ant San Philly. Bob has changed his to uh, at Bob underscore Wankel. So be sure to follow us there. Anthony's not on Twitter. Uh, oh, should I call it X now? X? Yeah, well, you didn't see this. Elon changed the name of it to X. There's a reason I stay off of Twitter. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, uh, yeah, so it's no, we're no longer tweeting. We're, we're sending X's. That's what he said. We're no longer tweeting. We got rid of the bird. The blue bird is gone, right? Uh, who knows what's going to happen? Um, anyway, but uh, if you haven't already subscribed, please do subscribe to app, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, anywhere where you uh, get your podcasts. Uh, hit the little bell so you get a, an alert every time we drop a new episode. And uh, if you want to leave us a review, a uh, five-star review would be great. Uh, please do. And now tell us what you th- like about the program. Uh, so for Bob, who's reco- in recovery, for Anthony Jr. filling in for us tonight, uh, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo saying thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on Friday. <laughs>